the QMC Board and Collar Series for EMS Professionals welcomes you to Excuse My Medic, the podcast version of an MCI with Gary Harvat, Chuck Humphrey, and Ed Marasco. Excuse My Medic takes a unique look at today's emergency medical service with news and information, opinionated discussions, lively talk, sporadic jabs, and even a few belly laughs from our world of emergency medical services. Excuse My Medic is brought to you by Quick Med Claims, a national leader in emergency medical service revenue cycle management and reimbursement consulting. Now, hang on to the bench seat and tighten your lap belt as these old guys from EMS Past take you on a Code 3 ride without touching the brakes. You've had the disclaimer, and if you're still brave enough to stick it out, let's get started. Take it away, guys. Well, good day, everyone. My name is Gary Harvin, and welcome to this unbelievable, truly unbelievable episode. It's amazing that we're even here today to do this because all our lives, well, most all of our lives, have changed to some degree. But here we are again. The band is back together. And it's uh, and we've got some tunes to play today. We've got a, actually a great show for you. It's something that we hope you'll enjoy. Uh, believe it or not, it's actually informative. And I know most of our shows aren't really informative. It's just Chuck and Ed and I arguing over something, and it just goes on and on and on. And for some crazy reason, you folks out there in podcast land listen to this. Where God bless you. So you're either bored out of your mind, can't find anything on the radio station or sports radio, and you choose to listen to us. Thank you. So, of course, joining me today are my colleagues in crime, uh, Ed Marasco, who is uh, the Vice President of Business Development for QMC. Um, also joining us is Chuck Humphrey. Now, Chuck... Uh, retired from QMC about, what is it, Chuck, about a year no, ago? It's about 14 months ago. About 14 months Holy ago. Mackerel. And yeah. we still drag him back in to do these things. And trust me, we br- bring him in for the audio only because the looks aren't going to get us <laughs> any kind of bonuses. That's for so, sure. Um, and then, of course, uh, you've got good old uh, me here. And I actually just retired from QMC back in August. So, I am busier than I want to be right now. I've got a couple side gigs going on. I've got a honeydew list. And of course, at the Harvat House, we have what? We have. Oh, it's Thanksgiving. We have Thanksgiving. preparation. Let's run the vacuum underneath the bed in, in our rooms in case somebody happens to crawl under our king size bed <laughs> and check the dust level. But uh, here we are. It's, it's Thanksgiving. It's the holidays at the Harvat House. So. Um, all good things. So um, we've got a, a really great show for us today, but also joining us, um, and Adam has never been here before. Um, so Adam, is this is baptism by fire for you, and I apologize to you. I really do. Uh, Adam Patterson is the vice president of sales for QMC. Great guy, uh, a veteran, a USMC veteran. You can't see Adam, but trust me when I tell you, he's got his UMC, USMC uh, um green uh, hoodie on today. So Adam, thank you for your service. We're so glad you're here today. Uh, feel free to jump in as as you wish. Of Thanks, course, I, I do have a couple rules. We are not allowed to use the T word today. The T word is T-U-R-K-E-Y. If <laughs> oh, you use geez. that word, 
that will set Chuck off to talk about bowling, because I know that's a right. bowling term, and oh we don't want to monopolize hearing about bowling. No. So whatever you do, do not I, say I, T-U-R-K-E-Y, regardless. And, and we also will not, uh, uh, even though we have a female guest today, which I'm excited to have, um, we are not going to talk anything about Taylor Swift. I don't want to hear about her. I don't care if the Kelsey's lover. I don't care. <laughs> I just want to say that this is one broadcast that will not include Taylor Swift, and I am thrilled about that. But I will Spoken tell like you, a true Eagles fan. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, um, we've got a we've got a busy sports day here in Pittsburgh. Of course, we've got the Pitt playing today. We've got um, uh, the Pens playing, and of course, my big thing tonight is the, the gold, the finale of the Golden Bachelor oh, is on tonight. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I don't know. I'll Harry, be, you, I'll you be channel surfing. You have got to find something better to do with your time than the Yeah, Golden exactly. Bachelor, right? I will so. be channel surfing. Hey, listen, I'm allowed to do whatever I want, Chuck. I've spent 45 plus years working. If Take I up wanna... bowling. <laughs> <laughs> Join the team. Oh, my. Well, believe it or not, guys, um, and I'm not sure how this happened because when Ed or Chuck have been assigned to get a guest – uh, they typically come back with like uh, a guy from a lawn service or a, or barber shop. We can never get a great guest. We always have somebody who wants to talk about yard aeration or uh, buzz cuts or something. But we actually have a person who's relevant to our industry on today's show. And I'm going to uh, go to Ed to do the introductions here. And we actually have a really great topic to talk about today, folks, uh, something that's uh, – that's out there that's time uh, concerning for many, many reasons. And Adam, being a veteran, is on today. I know he's going to have some comments along the way, too. But um, uh, th thank you. And, Ed, I'll, let, I'll turn this over to you to introduce um, our great, great guest. We're, we're honored to have you. we got to mark the calendars. We don't get guests like this. We, we really uh, don't. Thanks, G. We really yeah, appreciate don't. appreciate it. I'm coming to you from the campus of the University of Pittsburgh this morning, where I'll be spending the day molding young minds, which is a scary proposition for sure. Um, but I'm, I'm delighted to be here as always. And as Gary said, uh, we are thrilled today. Joining us for the conversation is Heather Shar, who's the uh, executive director of the Ambulance Association of Pennsylvania. And for those of you out there listening who maybe don't know Heather personally, she's been doing this for quite a few decades. And, um, and she's been actively involved in the industry um, and leading industry efforts to, to make um, the profession better, to make the industry better. Um, and uh, she also has the inauspicious uh, responsibility of herding the cats um, with our ambulance associates here in, in Pennsylvania, which if you know Pennsylvania EMS at all, you know there's quite a few different personalities. So, Heather, thank you so much for being here. We're thrilled that you could make the time to join us this morning. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. It's uh, it's a fun podcast already. I am very honored to be It can only go up from here, Heather. It can only go <laughs> right, up from exactly, here, trust me. Yes. You should have been here for the pre-podcast discussion. Yes. I, I'll, I'll leave that aside. But I am happy to talk about lawn aeration or uh, don't don't go to like. the B don't go to the B or the T word. Whatever you do, no, nope. yeah, right, no, no. But just so you know, even though Chuck said he wasn't going to mention it and it wasn't going to be talked about, he mentioned it. 
Yeah. You did mention it. I did. We're just, we just tried to look past it, Heather. Keep moving. Keep moving. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and you know, guys, um, oh, uh, here we go. while Heather is Pennsylvania and we're a we're Pennsylvania headquartered company, I think it's important for the listeners to get serious for a minute. This, what we're going to talk about, the topic that Heather comes in on. First of all, Congratulations, Heather. Your organization really is on the forefront of state associations, oh, of all you. the associations across the country. Uh, the the um, association here in Pennsylvania is just uh, top-notch, uh, a great advocacy uh, organization. And so if you're listening, you know, part of QMC clientele or out there listening to us today, I, I don't want you to think, oh, it's just Pennsylvania and you click. This, this, what we're going to talk about today has far-reaching implications across the country. Uh, we just happen to have um, a large amount of veterans in Pennsylvania, so it's very relevant, and Heather's organization has spearheaded this effort together with some others uh, across the country, but really kudos uh, for taking the lead on this, and, and true to form, the AAP has just done, done such a great advocacy job. So I want everybody to realize that we're not just focusing on Pennsylvania because we're a Pennsylvania company. Heather will bring you information that is is nationwide and, and, and very timely right now, very concerning, actually. Thank you. Um, and thank you for that. I actually, um, Paige Wolf Bergenworth has actually filed a, um, a lawsuit to put a stay or a delay for the VA rule, which was set to go into effect in January of 2024. So... Pennsylvania is number four in the number of veterans in the state. And according to the Veterans Administration, they have a website where they actually have summaries for each of the states. So Pennsylvania, as of 2020, had over 813,000 veterans. And so the state, because we have a large amount of veterans, we actually have a large amount of veterans facilities, there are 49 outpatient care sites, seven inpatient care sites, and 12 medical centers. So there's a huge population of veterans that are serviced by EMS agencies in the state, and most of them are non -contra not contracted. And so this new rule would apply to emergency services, and the emergency services that the Veterans Administration is paying at full charges right now, the new rule when it would be implemented would pay at the Medicare level. And so for Pennsylvania already, and this is a, an issue nationwide because there are financial concerns. The, the federal government uh, excluded sort of the ground ambulance services from the No Surprises Act while CMS studied what it actually cost to provide the service. There was a committee that was put in place to actually look at what it would take to prohibit balance billing. And so that report is gonna be coming out soon. But what the Ambulance Association did was we filed an amicus brief for a friend of the court um, supporting the lawsuit to delay the implementation of this rule. It would financially cripple many of the EMS agencies that are not contracted with the Veterans Administration and one of the examples that we use, we use this all the time because Medicare doesn't cover the cost, medical assistance doesn't cover the cost, the commercial insurers, if you're not participating, they send the check to the beneficiary and then you have to chase your tail. And then now the Veterans Administration doesn't wanna pay charges, they wanna pay at the Medicare rate, which doesn't cover the cost. 
So the example that, um, I don't know if you've ever heard Don Doremus talk, he is the legislative committee chair. He has an example, which is perfect. So it costs $3 to make a hot dog and you put it in the bun and you have a truck. It costs $3 to provide that product service to the public. And suppose people are gonna tell you that they're only gonna pay $1. So you're losing 60% on every service product that you provide. That's where EMS is. So right. this, yeah. So this yeah. rule would actually take the payment down 60% approximately, depending on where you are. And that's how can you survive? You can survive. Right, exactly. You know, and I, I, I talked to the students. I, my my presentation this afternoon is on revenue cycle management and the revenue side of the industry. And I tell them all the time, I use a very similar example, Heather. I say, you know, try calling a plumber. You know, Gary's got family coming over for Thanksgiving. So try calling a plumber Thanksgiving morning because you got a leak. And they come and they repair the leak. And then they give you a bill. And try calling them and say it after that, saying, well, the bill was for $500, but my allowable for this, my wife says I'm only allowed to pay $250, so I'm going to send you a check for $250, right? See how that works out. Yeah. And that's that's our life that's in the MS. Every, right. every darn day of the week. Yeah. Right. Well, and to me, it's a double slap because post-pandemic EMS, we're in a spin. So now you take this and heap it on. And then... Now you're slapping down veteran services. And Adam, I'm going to let you just go off on this because I, I, you you served and thank you for that. But, you know, let's slap EMS and let's slap veterans. Why don't you just kick a, a little child? I mean, seriously, it's just it's beyond comprehension for me. I, I, I don't get it. Yeah, Chuck, I, I completely agree. And, you know, this past week, uh, you know, we, we had a, a – an opportunity while well, the Marine, with Marine Corps turning 248 years old, got to uh, get together with a, a couple of my, my fellow jarheads at the, the local VFW Ooh, and uh, cut some, cut some cake. Yeah. And celebrate. And we, uh, I use that opportunity to talk to a, a couple of veterans, you know, just about their experience with the VA and just try to get just a pulse check, you know, what's happening with the community. And first and foremost, I mean, I feel like veterans are very appreciative of the benefits that we received for the service we provided for our country. And I mean, I feel like that's just the community, uh, that servant community that we're a part of, right? But once you get past that, the majority of vets that you talk to are already dealing with problems with access to care. It's one of the biggest issues that we deal with with the VA, just to be able to get appointments set up to be able to get in to see your specialist, to be able to get the care, or on the backside, you know, if there is getting bills paid or stuff like that, it's just such a hassle to be able to work with uh, the VA. It, it's it's it just causes tons of problems. With that being said, I don't think one of the vets that I talked to, well, first of all, nobody's really aware of these changes that are being made. I feel like the overwhelming majority of veterans, unfortunately, just don't keep up with a lot of these legislative issues that are gonna directly impact their lives. But they all acknowledge, and everybody's saying the same thing, it doesn't surprise us, the, 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 the Veterans Administration. So I'm really disappointed in our VA administration for using, first of all, antiquated data 
to be able to try to justify this change that's happening. And then going back to a, a, a really a dilapidated fee schedule that we know as an industry and Congress has admitted it doesn't work. We know it doesn't. We've invested time and money to, to create these committees to come up with solutions to move our industry forward. And the VA has really just kind of slapped us all in the face and say, we're going to take this step back. We don't want to help move forward. We want to go back. And uh, again, that's just really disappointing as a vet to, to hear that that's where our VA administration is moving right now. Heather, maybe you can fill us in. What drove, what was the precipitator for this action? To, is it a, a cost-cutting measure? I mean, why all of a sudden are we are we seeing this? And and it kind of feels like they tried to slide it underneath the, the table and surprise us all. And so I'm wondering if you can give us some historical background on where where exactly this all arose and, and why are we dealing with this now? You know, I, I don't think I can answer that. Um, I don't know if Ed, you have any insight into that at the yeah, I can level. I can provide some color, um, guys. So uh, it's been a number of years now, but you know the the GAO Government Accountability Office, which frequently studies these kinds of things, and and those of us around the ambulance industry, you know, there have been, you know, probably a half a dozen or so different um, studies by the GAO that it, that impacted ambulance. Some looking directly at it, some looking more broadly at emergency care. But um, it's been a few years now, but the GAO did a study looking at um, the VA spending. And one of the things that identified is that the VA was spending, quote unquote, too much for ambulance service. And of course, it was at a time when the industry was very different um, and sort of the demand was very different. So that prompted the VA administrator. And, and I'm, you know, look, we know politics happen all the time. And and I'm sure those there are people in Congress who took that report when they were trying to slam the administration. I don't care whether what party you're in, what who was in power at the time, but every time there's an opportunity to slam the other guys who are in a in a seat that you don't want them to be in. So, you know, they pulled out that report and said, you got to do something about this. And I'm sure the VA administrator gets jammed up with that on a regular basis. And I think that's part of it, Chuck. I think um, they realized that um, they're getting a black eye over this thing and they had to do something to address it. The challenge is, and I think what surprised a lot of us in the industry, we, we knew this was coming at one level because it was talked about, but once they once they rolled out the, the um, NPRM and they started to talk about it, they had these open sessions. I think it was not the first session. I think it was the second session where everybody was caught off guard, I think including some of the VA staff people that we've been talking to, that this also applies to emergency care. So we're not talking about just those elective transfers where someone goes from one facility to another, but the, but the emergency work, both ground and air emergency work is also included in this. And um, the other thing, and this is where, you know, you, you sort of scratch your head, right? The answer whenever the issue starts to get raised is the VA, the administrative folks will say, well, that's okay, we're, we're gonna negotiate contracts. And so you'll have an in-network rate. You only go to the Medicare rate if you don't have a contract with the VA. But there are 10,000 plus ambulance services across this wonderful nation that we live in. And even the ones, I mean, there's a, there's a smaller number that do the elective work for the VA, but all of us, and Chuck's still out there in the field taking care of sick folks, God bless him. Um, if you do emergency work for, for someone who's covered by VA benefits, it's going to apply to you too. Those agencies aren't going to yeah. be in network. Oh, if they don't wow. serve a VA facility, 
So, you know, there's no way the VA is going to be able to get 10,000 agreements in place yeah. so that everybody gets a fair rate. Who's We're going to go the store? Yeah. Right. Well, I dealt with that firsthand because we have we had a very vibrant vet, veterans clinic right here where I live in my community. And, and our 911 service, we would have never been able. First of all, I worked with a client that served the VA hospital that went through the contracting process. Uh, you literally had to give a pint of your own blood and about 8 million pages of application in order just to, to, to get a shot at it. And, and, and it was so time consuming that this organization finally just threw up their hands and gave up and said, we're not doing this. Right. So for any 911 service in a local community that has a clinic or one of the VA hospitals in their backyard to even think about contracting, going through government contracting at the federal level is an enormous task. It takes so much time and energy. I can't see but a handful of ambulance services and especially not 911 services. And we, like I say, I have a clinic right here in our backyard and then 40 miles up the road is a VA hospital. So we're continuously, our local EMS, driving back and forth, especially for uh, patients who are veterans who want to extend their stay in a VA hospital because of the copay implications and, and to getting paid, it will just be a nightmare. And this just adds, if you take a 911 out of a good grief. Uh, so, and, and the unfortunate thing is from my standpoint, you mentioned I'm still in the field and limited of, of course at my age, but um, most of the, the grassroots people, uh, EMTs, paramedics, we have no clue this is going on. And yet we need to, because it's going to affect our bottom lines and eventually it'll affect jobs and equipment and everything else. And Heather, you can speak to that more, uh, more uh, better than I can for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you're looking at people who serve their country. They're in a vulnerable state because they have to call 911 and now they have to worry about a bill. Is it going to be covered? Who am I calling? I mean, all those things that you can't really control and it's, it's just a shame. And the more, the federal government, the state government, the insurers, the more they try to whittle down what EMS is paid, you're going to see more and more services go out of business. And so there are going to be access to care issues. Right. We, um, I just had a conversation with um, a legislator last week, and we said, you know, for every month that the state doesn't help EMS, and now the federal government is trying to come down and take away more reimbursement for EMS, it's going to devastate EMS across the country no and there's going to be less and less services. And you've got some services that won't be able to provide ALS. They'll only be able to provide BLS. So they have to downgrade their services. And mm. so it's just, it is a sad state. It's going to really contribute to the crisis that we're already in. Already in. You're absolutely when right. You look at big picture from a statistics standpoint. I mean, there's over 16 million veterans right now across the country, right? So when you look at big picture right now, that represents about six and a half percent of the adult population that's out there. So you think about that, six and a half percent potentially of the revenue, big picture that we're looking at could have that type of impact. And obviously different services see different concentrations of, of, of vets, depending on where you're located, if you're close to the base or whatnot. But I mean, this is a significant impact. Uh, sure. we're going to have to deal with. So I think it's so important for us to, first of all, just to be aware of what's happening right now. Um, and Heather, again, we, we can't tell you how much we appreciate the support of the associations and everybody uh, getting behind 
these bipartisan bills, because the good thing is it looks like um, Congress on both sides, they're working together to try to get uh, some of these updates passed through that could potentially push this back. Uh, but if we don't, I mean, it's going to have a significant impact uh, overall on the industry serve really quick. I, I really. just can't believe it's got got this far already. Like, who was asleep at the wheel that let this go go this far? Now we've got to go back and committee meetings and reviews and to get this pushed back. It should never even come to this point. That's well. At the very ridiculous. least, they should wait until the they should wait until the results come in from the the cost data collection process. Okay. At the very least, good. Exactly. Because good then point. you have data to work from. But right. to go into the initiative like this, yeah. You know, when we know the fee schedule's broke, when we know we've passed for the eight millionth time the add-on payments to the fee schedule because it was broke from 2002 on. Let's face it, it was broke from the day it was incepted. Uh, then to go say, oh, we're going to tie this to Medicare rate, um, at least wait until your own study's done, for crying out loud. Right. Exactly. I, I mean, believe. and again, I, I wanted to add on something Heather said earlier, which is the point Chuck just made. We know the Medicare fee schedule is broken, right? So they, they make that the, that becomes the bell cow for this thing. And there's just, it, it's so silly because we are so far down the trail with the ground ambulance data collection system. We're going to have the answer in the next 18 to 24 months, you know, the data is starting to come in. I know mean, we're halfway through the collection part of it. So why not wait and why not put something together that's meaningful, that makes sense? And you're right. The fee schedule was busted from the beginning because it was based on old data. You know, it was balanced budget act in 97. It was based on 95 or 96 data. I can't remember the exact, the base, the government base year they used, but it was based on the spend, the historical spend. And look, let's face it. In those days, we know the number wasn't right because all the municipal agencies, which are some of the larger ones, are all tax subsidized. Yeah. So if you just are living on your revenue from third-party billing, you know, you don't have, you can't survive on that fee schedule. And then as you guys pointed out, you know, the law said when the BBA was passed to create the fee schedule, it said that it would be increased annually by the CPI minus 1%. So just a normal consumer price index increase, you were, we lost a percent every year for the last 20 yeah. plus years on this thing. It's just, it's, it's, it's failed. Well, and then they went ahead and added in the multi-factor productivity because we're supposed to be more efficient. And right. that just took it down even further. Good. And Lord. there was no there was no mechanism to include for technology and no. medical advances. So now you get this mobile ER yeah. that in Pennsylvania, you're required to staff and equip and everything as a condition of licensure. And then you can't recoup the cost. Yeah. Yeah, and then add on the fact that what we've experienced from a personnel perspective, right? Right. The pressure on salaries, and rightly so, you know, professionals out there doing what they do in EMS every day have never been compensated well. But now, just trying to keep people on the trucks because you, I, I broke, I walked to the into the local Target where I live uh, earlier this week. Starting pay at Target eighteen dollars an hour. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, how can you compete with that? And no certification required and no risk to yourself or your family. You know, think about all we went through with COVID. I don't know how these people think we're going to be able to sustain the EMS system under these conditions. Yeah, and it's, it's a little frustrating because for so long, I think EMS was ignored and mm -hmm. we were screaming, we need help, we need help. So now the, the, the highlight is on EMS. So it's that double-edged sword, but it's also an opportunity for us to really advocate for what EMS is and what EMS does and demand that we get paid 
and you know have that municipal support i think this is this is probably an opportunity instead of looking at it as that challenge yep. but this is an opportunity for ems to really show and highlight how important we are we are an essential service in pennsylvania and according to the ems act we're supposed to be supported acknowledged and promoted as an essential service that also means funded yeah yeah I've, exactly. I've, um you, you mentioned you know I, i'm asking you uh, tell folks, so I'm listening out there, I'm an EMT, I'm a paramedic, I'm, I'm not a service administrator, I'm just running the street. Uh, what can I do? What can John Q. Public do right now to help push this back? Uh, is it calling congressmen, senators? Is it uh, publishing something in the newspaper? It, what, what's a grassroots effort in your mind that can help you as an organization, push, you know, push this advocacy forward? Well, um, there's a couple of things. Uh, if you're in Pennsylvania, reach out to me. I am happy to share information with you and have you reach out to your congressman. If you're in another state, I recommend that you reach out to that state association to see what they're doing. Um, there's an opportunity through the NAEMT to, uh, there are a lot of individual providers, they can help you and talk to you about what they're doing and what you can do. But there's there's lots of avenues at the state level and also at the, the, the national level. And the American Ambulance Association is also a part of this too. So mm -hmm. I think those are all opportunities. I mean, th well, that's why associations exist. And Adam, as a veteran, if I'm, if we have veterans listening here, and I hope we do today, what what are the advocacy groups that that they can contact and and help support? Um, do you have some insight in that? Well, I can tell you, most of the just the VFWs that I talked to, those guys have uh, whether it's the different leagues that we uh, are part of or different. Uh, uh, veteran groups. Typically, there's a part of uh, advocacy that happens within those organizations that that we can, you know, either have connections to local um, lawmakers or, you know, even just connecting with your 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 local EMS agencies. Or, like Heather said, just connecting with your the the state EMS associations. Just hearing from veterans, I, I know that gives the fuel that the associations are looking for to say. You know, our our members, our our constituents within our state are reaching out and saying this is important to them. This is going to have an impact. You know, how do we fix this? Um, but again, just starting at that local level, whether it's um, you know the the VFW, and again, I, I always recommend that just because there's always somebody within those organizations that know how to connect and get that message up. So that's always a great place to start. Yeah, well, great let's advice. not forget we're headed to national election year and. Vets vote. Yep. So right. Folks, exactly. you know, your vote counts. And if you start rattling a saber and saying, you know, I'm going to base my vote next year on, on whether or not you're a, you're a champion of this or not, um, I think carries a lot of weight. And we, we forget sometimes how much power we have as, as grassroots voters in these kind of initiatives, I think. Yeah. Maybe just to, for the listeners, maybe recap a little bit, sort of what is happening and, um, uh, what's some of the activity that's going on. So a couple things, first of all, um, um, and this is all the, all the government relations, uh, uh, public affairs jargon you can throw at somebody, but on November 1st, the Senate passed, um, 
the military construction VA appropriations bill, which is sort of the big funding vehicle for the VA. Um, and that included an amendment that was proposed by uh, Senators uh, Tester and Boozman. And it was something that the, the AAA, the Association of Air Medical Services, the AAP, NEMT have all been sort of um, uh, in sync on. And that is there's an amendment um, that was included in that in that particular piece of legislation that says that the VA use any of the appropriated funds to do any reduction for special transportation services, which is the language that was used in the regulations to reduce payment by the VA. So that that bill has passed both houses. There's different versions now. If you've been following it all politics, you know that everything that's going on with leadership in the House and of course the Senate's in an uproar right now because um, of some pending changes in in the balance of power in the Senate with Senator Manchin sort of stepping down or announcing he's not going to rerun. Um, but there, what happens in the process now is this: these two bills will go to conference and there'll be a conference committee process that'll hammer out the final details. And we're pretty confident since the support in both the House and the Senate has been bipartisan for these for this particular amendment to, um, to the Milcon bill, um, that it'll make its way through the conference committee. The challenge is, and for those of you who've been listening to you know, the newspapers this week, you know, we, we think we might have a solution to get the government fund for at least a few more months. So everybody's been focused on that. Of course, next week's the Thanksgiving recess. So the conference committee is not likely to convene to take up all these pieces of legislation until after the Thanksgiving holiday. Of course, there's only a few weeks between that and Christmas. So everybody who's been tracking this on the government relations side is hopeful um, that this will come out of conference and get to the president's desk before the end of the calendar year. Um, to get passed, which will force a delay in uh, the implementation, which, as Heather pointed out, was early in the first quarter of next year, this reduction was set to go in place. So we're hopeful that that will um, uh, that will make its way through. So that that piece is good. There's also um, uh, Senate Bill 2757. Don't quote me on the number, but I'm pretty sure if my memory serves me, that's it, um, which is gaining lots of support. There's a there's a House companion bill. It's gaining lots of support, 20 or 30 co-sponsors at this point, which has the same language in it, which basically says, do not proceed with this cut in payment for special transportation services until after the ground ambulance data collection system has a chance to spit out the report on the other end. Um, and that particular regulation calls for a report to Congress on the cost of ambulance services, as well as reimbursement, a variety of other things. So that'll be information that'll help make a good sound solution. I mean, we understand that the VA can't continue to probably pay charges, right? right full charges. But, you know, there's a, there, we have a piece of information coming that will allow us to set up a fair and equitable payment system. So if you want to do something, if you're talking to your veteran service organizations um, or your local legislators, um, that would be something to get behind is that the, the new access to VA special transportation bill has been proposed, which, again, has broad ranging support around all the associations. So those are the two things that are, you know, the arrows pointing in the right direction on those two things right now. Good news. Yeah. And it's yeah. nice to see all those organizations on the same page. Yes. And veteran service organizations as well. I think, you know, the AAA and, and, and the Association of Air Medical Services and all the individual public affairs folks have been reaching out. And you think about our, our industry, our community, you know, and, and Adam, again, thank you for your service. But, you know, my time in the air medical industry on the air medical side of it in the operations piece, 
I work with Marine Corps aviators, um, Army aviators, Navy aviators, and maintenance technicians. I mean, our industry, in terms of people in it, are, is dominated by folks who serve their country prior to serving it in a public safety capacity. So, um, you know, we, we just have to get the word out, like Adam said. You know, a lot of folks probably don't realize that this is coming. A lot of times people don't think about EMS or ambulance until they need it. And then when you call, you want that mobile ER because that's what we've trained everybody. When you call 911, you get fire, police, and EMS instantaneously. Well, I got to be honest with you. I'm scared. And I, and I mean that in all sincerity. I know I, I uh, kid around a bit, but let me tell you, um, you know, my little ambulance service is right over the hill from me here. And... Um, I'll be the first to tell you, probably 30 years ago, I knew it was there. I didn't think much about it. I knew it was there. Yeah. Now, I'm pushing 67 here, gang. I got a good chance of needing that ambulance. Call it what it is. I got a good chance of needing that. And I worry. I worry yeah. that it won't well, be Gare, here. Gare, we all should I be worried. I worry because uh, the the world is dangerous. Look what just happened in Israel. And, and mm -hmm. I, I tie this to world events. At any moment, I think across the globe, we could have a catastrophic event. Uh, it proved it uh, the, on, on that fateful day in October. And that could be in the U.S. And, and our resources are strained. Um, I get texts every day from the ambulance where I serve. Um, we need help. We need help. There, you know, there are limited number of providers. There's not enough money to pay everyone. Uh, so I think what people, what the public doesn't realize is just how thin of a line we operate on. And yeah. I think that's so out of mind right now, even with our, I have talked to um, uh, several state legislators who I've, I've one in particular that I that I had a, a developed a good relationship with um, through mutual friends, and and he was oblivious. I I, I didn't know about this, and he's a he's a decision maker. Um, it's just taken for granted in America that you're going to pick up and dial nine one one, and and resource is going to be there. And I don't think we can count on that. On any given day, if there's a catastrophic event in any one of our coverage areas, I think it's safe to say that we'll be under resourced. And that's uh, no fault of anyone. It's simply because that's how stressed the industry is. And then, you know, now we're talking about taking much needed dollars away from the system at any vein. I don't care if it's th this particular issue or any other. We need to wake up. We have got to wake up because it could happen at a, at a snap of a finger and, and we won't be ready. So well, we've got to fix this and do it right. And I think that's where we have to make you talk to your neighbors, like you have to make them aware. When I talk to people, I say, Hey, you know, like, don't be scared because 911 will be there, but there may come a day when it's not. And we got to make sure that doesn't happen. Oh yeah. And EMS has done so much with so little for so long. We just can't anymore. Can't. It's down to the point where the chicken barbecues don't cover it anymore. Oh, mm -hmm. Screaming uncle. I mean, yeah, well, we might be our own worst enemy in that regard. We've all, yeah. you know, it's, we've always made it happen. Um, right. Right. You know, yep. and uh, uh, you guys know Neil Jones, probably, um, you know, another Western PA guy. We used to work when we were in college. We worked at a pool together over in White Oak and, and White Oak uh, Rescue. We couldn't get we couldn't get enough crews on the daylight shift. So we would bring the ambulance up in the morning to the pool and we'd have our jumpsuits on and that we staffed the daylight shift. I'll bet you 
half the days in the summer because there wasn't enough people. And, you know, we always EMS, we always make it happen. And uh, you guys point out a great, it's a great point. We, we can't continue to fly like that. We have to be able to, you know, and Heather, you said it. I mean, it's an essential service. We have to treat it that way. Right. Yep. Yep. And sometimes we're our own worst enemy. Like we talk the talk, but we need to get more people involved. And, and I'll put this message out to those that are working in the back of those trucks right now. It is not your directors. It is not the president of your board's responsibility to take this bull by the horns. It's all of ours. And for those of you that complain that you make more, they make more a target than you do, you need to get up on your soapbox, go down to your local legislator, go down to your congressperson, and start making a stink. I recognize you're overworked, underpaid. You have the power to change it. The people have the power to change it. We just talk, but we don't really act so everybody has to get involved and yep. again you know i'm at the point in my life i need to stay involved because someday i'm going to dial 911 or worse yet someday my family's going to dial 911 for me and uh yeah they'll answer the phone but i don't know if or when uh they'll show up and that's yeah. that's that's yeah. a worry well this has been a uh, a really good discussion that we could probably carry on for another couple hours without any problem at all and it's one that, uh, Heather, thank you for, uh, for um, leading us in this discussion. Thank you for the information you've provided us. Um, well, Heather, thank you for if, having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Heather, if anybody would like to write you, would you be okay to, to uh, let us know, your, let the folks know your email? Sure. It's executive director, it's all spelled out, at aa-p as in Paul, a.org. Or you can go to our website, which is www.aa-pa.org, and then there is a link where you can actually contact me. I'm the only staff person, so um, that's the other thing, too. EMS is tight all the way around, even up to their state association. Yeah, <laughs> yeah great point. Heather, thanks for sharing that, because the web, your website is tremendously informative. Oh, good. Um, it has lots of information, and... Um, you know, everything that's happening. And I know there's other state associations, probably folks from other states that are listening. If you're not actively involved and a member of your state ambulance association, you should be. If it allows individual memberships, you should think about that. But certainly organizationally, your organization should be a member. And one last plug, I'm surprised Chuck didn't make this because he's the guru when it comes to the ground ambulance data, data collection system. If you're in those cycles, Please take the time yes. to be thoughtful in your responses. Mm. Don't do the minimum to just submit the paperwork because that data is going to drive how we get paid right. and how we're viewed economically for decades to come. Decades. So get yes. some help if you need to, but yeah. make sure you're capturing all yeah. your costs. Great point, Ed. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. I was remiss. But, uh, yeah, I've worked with uh, many organizations on, on cost data collection, and um, it's nothing to be taken lightly. This is the one of the biggest initiatives of our time that will change that course. Um, I'm hoping, as we all do, that the results will wake up Congress and show them once and for all exactly what it costs for us to do what we do and to fix that that stopgap for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, to my colleagues, uh, Ed and Chuck and Adam, thanks for joining uh, today. It was always good to have you. Adam, you probably won't want to come back after today, but uh, we're, we're glad to have you. <laughs> always, G. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed it and I appreciate the invite. Yeah, and of course to Heather, thank you so much again. And folks, uh, yeah, just in closing, you, 
Heather's uh, our state director, but I know the kind of woman that she is and the kind of professional she is. If you're from Georgia, Ohio, California, Nevada, uh, you know, anywhere, this woman will respond to your call. So she knows the people across the United States and she is a great asset to our Commonwealth. And uh, we've been delighted to have her here today, giving us yeah, some of Thank you time. so much. Uh, thank, thank you, you so thank much. It's thank been you great. And uh, I'll just say in closing to all the listeners uh, of Excuse My Medic who listen to us religiously, still be on me. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. And hey, be, be safe, safe out, out there. there. We can there. never get that in unison.